0: Kia ora, hello and welcome to One News Inside Parliament, your mostly weekly podcast covering the big political stories of this two weeks, as it turns out. Sorry, we've been away for a week. It's been a busy one. Um, my name is Felix Demaret. I am the digital political reporter for One News and with me are the most well-costed journalists in the press gal- gallery, including Jessica, Jessica
1: M- M- Mckay. <laughs> Mikey Sherman. And Benedict Collins.
0: Well, welcome everyone. So it's obviously been a pretty big week for uh, the Labour Party. Jess, what's been going on with Labour this (laughs) week? Where were you when Kitty Ellen crashed her car and you found out about it?
2: The story broke quite early in the morning on Monday morning from memory and uh, I was at home uh, when I heard that the news coming in and rushed in to do breakfast that morning It had happened the incident on the Sunday night, and it was a big. It's a big story, and it's sad, and it feels like a waste of a political career. But there's no doubt that that was a career-ending event in that evening. uh, Driving under the influence of some alcohol, uh, a crash into a parked car, and then um, some kind of altercation with police. Um, that's unclear on on both sides it's still going through the court process so you know a big a big political game changer for her she resigned straight away and yeah a, a big moment in the year
0: hmm. it seemed like a it it cast quite a a sad feeling over the whole of parliament don't you think
2: yeah, she was well liked. And I think there's no question she'd been under pressure in her personal life and she'd faced questions about her uh, management style as well. And, you know, there's no doubt that she was, you know, riding a wave uh, with her mental health. She's been very open with that. But she clearly made a series of really poor decisions to end up in the situation. Uh, and, and it was a very big political story indeed.
1: I uh, made my way to the airport on the Monday morning uh, when the news broke and uh, sort of waited the arrival, waited for the arrival of the ministers. Um, and one by one they came in. They spoke about their distraught for their colleague, um, but also that it, it you know was an excusable kind mm. of behaviour. And the other thing that I thought was quite interesting was a comment from um, Damien O'Connor the uh, agriculture minister uh, who came in and I said, what do you make of the events um, that we've you know, heard about today? And he says, quote unquote, shit happens. Um, and I think that kind of encompasses a lot of things. One, that people are human, and two, that it has been a very shitty time uh, for the Labour Party, actually, and this is just another um, addition to a tumultuous um, cabinet table, basically, that, that there has been a revolving door um, of, of ministerial kind of exits, um, whether by their own choice um, or whether by, you know, force, Um mm. And so it's been a major headache for Chris Hipkins. I think to his credit, he's handled it uh, as well as he could have. There was obviously a lot of questions about whether or not the Labour Party made the right call in terms of letting Kitty Allen come back after her first sort of mental health break um, but when you have someone who's saying to you, yes I feel like I'm ready to come back and who is pushing for that, it is quite difficult I think probably to um, you know tell them no uh, and so yeah some, some interesting weeks for the Labour Party. And that
0: was a repeated sort of refrain from many politicians, not just from Labour, I think, where they were saying, look, we kind of just need to trust, you know, the person who is in mental distress, we need to trust how they say they feel. Um, We did have Christopher Luxon, however, the leader of the National Party, saying uh, on one day, he said, well, maybe there should be some sort of clinical check on somebody to see if they're ready to come back to work. But that's a comment he
3: walked back the next day. Yeah, I kind of saw, saw, uh, was, was away last week, I watched all this from afar, but wow, I mean, what a what a spectacular implosion! What a way to go out! I mean, a justice minister, you know, on the booze, crashing a car, ending up in police custody. I mean, uh, you know, being arrested, quitting. Um, I mean, it's just a spectacular way to go out. I mean, um, no one's coming. Yeah, uh, and I mean, it'll, it'll go down in history as one of the most kind of you know most spectacular exits of a, of a government. Yeah, um, and I think.
2: I, I think you're right that no one could have seen th- it coming like this, but I do feel like there were, in hindsight, there were signs that she was sort of she was struggling, obviously with mental health leave, and then she came back and did a really good job. And I think that perhaps people forget that mental health isn't just a linear thing, yeah. you know. Like I do feel like she was ebbs and she was yeah, yeah she was trudging through it, Mm. it seems.
0: I kind of mean looking more broadly, outwardly, because when you think about when Jacinda Ardern resigned in January, Kitty Allen was talked about as a long shot, you know, a a shot, but a a very long shot to possibly being a leader, or at least a leader one day. And now... We're here. It's it's quite the turnaround.
1: I think one of the interesting things that came out of last week as well was the um, leak from within um, the Labour Party uh, about what was said at their caucus meeting on that Tuesday. So basically, the day after everything had come out on the Monday, then on the Tuesday morning all of the rest of the uh, caucus MPs arrive to Parliament, they go into their weekly meeting and then in that meeting one of the first term Labour MPs, so one of the newbies essentially, said look it should come as no surprise, we know this has been happening for the last two years and, and saying that they had uh, at one point felt like they were bullied or or intimidated or that sort of thing from um, yelled at and bullied I think was the was the words um, by Kitty Allen, and and that is damaging in that um, yes we haven't seen any more leaks from the Labor Party since then, but even the fact that that came out um, is is damaging to the party because we all know that what happens in caucus stays in caucus, and when the party was hurting so badly that week to have that come out to kind of drag that story on on the Thursday was just something that they didn't really need, and so it was quite interesting that it did make its way out into the public
2: arena.
0: And especially since for so long that caucus has been so watertight, we haven't seen that from Labour for a very, very long time.
2: I think it's a bigger picture though that they are, uh, you know, there's a big chunk of them, a third of them perhaps, that are now looking and thinking, well I'm probably not going to be here in November, and those standards start to slip a bit, you know, on current polling, they could lose a big chunk of their MPs. So yeah. perhaps... Like a, like a
3: third of them, right? Like yeah. Like 20, 20-odd 20 MPs on current polling are heading, heading out the door in so
2: 70 days. So perhaps there's a bit of that. I mean, I don't know who leaked it, but there might be a bit of that, that there's perhaps not quite so much care taken.
0: Well, and the pressure will be on now too, because of course on Monday we found out what the Labour Party list for this election was. Um, who are the big winners and losers there? Benedict, did you do that trick? I
3: did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you it, w- remember? <laughs> it wasn't particularly surprising, I thought. Mm. Like, they, they kind of just ranked their, um, they did their list kind of along the lines of their um, cabinet and caucus rankings. Um, you know, not, not too many surprises there. It was interesting, though. We, we, we um, interviewed Ben Thomas, and he was saying um, he felt there was a real sleight of hand um, because it was easy to look, you could look, say, for example, at um, Michael Wood, who had plummeted down to number 45, right? Um, but it's kind of irrelevant, because he's going to win Mount Roskill anyway. Mm. And there were other MPs who I would ex- also expect, like, I don't know, Williams, uh, around Michael Wood in those mid-40s. And you think, oh, they're not very, very highly uh, valued, you know, by Chris Hipkins and the Labour Party here. But it's irrelevant, because they're going to win their seats. Highly yeah, likely to, yeah. Highly likely to. Um, and then what Ben Thomas was saying, it's those ones that they've brought up into the 30s. And there was a whole bunch of MPs in and around the 30s. And he feels like, you know, Hipkins of the Labour Party are sending them this message like, oh, we really we really uh, value you guys. You're very important to us. But those are the ones, he thought, who were in huge danger um, mm. of not coming back to Parliament. And that's because so many ministers, you know, in your top 20, some, I mean, some are on the list already, but others... You know, are are kind of in danger, um, electorates, and may well lose their seats at that one-off national. You know, against the flow um, at at the last election. Um, So a lot of those top twenty are going to be coming in off the list. We have seen like uh, some calculations run um, this week. I think David Farrar um, ran some calculations suggesting Labor might be bringing in about eight uh, ministers off 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 sorry might be bringing in eight people off the list mm. um, off some of the most recent polls um, and then yeah I mean quite a few of those eight are in your in your top 20 right
2: and mm. I guess there's nothing more motivating than saying you you have to grind if mm. you want to be back here you know you've like every vote counts and everything if you're in that um, you know late 20s position um or early thirties position, do you know what I mean? You've got to, and the other thing is is you can go to the electorates and say, um, I will not be in parliament unless you vote me in here. Yeah. Which is which is something um, you know, the likes of Nanaya Mahuta and and people yeah. like that are doing. Mm. I mean, Serena, safe seat. Mason as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah, do you know what but I mean?
3: Also, also, if you're an MP sitting in the 30s, right, like uh, you must be looking now at Kitty Allen and your Michael Woods going, thanks a lot, guys, you know. Yep. Like your, your chances of getting back to Parliament have just you know, are collapsing
0: by the day. Yeah, and when those people get nervous, that is that can be when leaks start to happen, but we're, we shall mm. see. Um, and then also, um, Privileges Committee, yet again, um, we have... I think it was on yesterday. Was it only yesterday? Um, the Speaker... No, said, se- Two, two Tuesday. days ago, yeah. Gosh, yeah. it's all a blur. Yeah, it's
3: start a question time on Tuesday. Yeah. yeah
0: um, uh, speaker Adrian Rurafe said he was referring uh, the National MP, Tim van der Molen, to the Privileges Committee... Um, Mikey, what what what's going on there?
1: So, uh, Nelson MP for the Labor Party, Rachel Boyack, wrote a letter of complaint to the Speaker, asking him that uh, this be referred to um, the committee. And she basically says that um, in the Transport and Infrastructure Select Committee on the June the twenty So. Not too long ago, maybe a month ago, um, Tim van der Molen, it's alleged, took issue to the number of questions that were given to the National Party. And he stood over Shannon Halbert, who is a fellow Labour MP who was the chair of that select committee, stood over him, um, forcing some of the other MPs to kind of place themselves around Shannon um, in what's claimed to be like a kind of protective uh, manner because they were worried about the intimidating, threatening behaviour from Tim van der Molen towards Shannon Halbert. Now, um, Benedict, you bumped into Shannon Halbert on the bridge yesterday. What did he say?
3: Yeah, so we did put that to him. We said, hey, did you feel threatened by Tim van der Molen? Um, and, and he confirmed he did. And he he, he also confirmed you know, what what was written in that letter, basically, that he felt... He was being stood over. He was being intimidated and threatened by um, Nationals' Tim van der Molen. Um, because this has been gone to the Privileges Committee, kind of, um, they, they can't say too much. But it does sound like... So remember, this happened in late June, right? So it's a good sort of five-odd weeks it's taken for Rachel Boyack to write to the Speaker complaining. It sounds like they've tried to sort of resolve this... Internally, and they haven't been able to within the committee, um, and that's why it's gone to the Speaker and to the Privileges Committee. So is
2: that why it took so long? Yeah, I think write, they've been trying to write. resolve it mm-hmm.
3: behind the scenes. Um, but uh, what I do... Uh, so Tim van der Molen, um, uh, Christopher Luxon has said that um, basically he, he's disputing some of the allegations here about mm. exactly what happened, but judging from, I think, from what I've seen from like the way... Chris Bishop, and um, who, who's on that committee, um, on the Transport Committee that day, uh, and Christopher Luxon, and there's a r- real lack of wanting to talk about this. Yeah, I, 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 I think uh, they're not too uh, impressed probably with Tim van der Molen here. Um, yeah, interesting stuff. Because it's not often you get MPs kind of threatening. No, and well, I think know, right?
2: um, you know he's had quite a lot going on Recently, to um, you know, with the death of a family member and things like that. So, um, but you know, that doesn't excuse yeah. behaviour. But if that's the way. That he's it's also
3: in right. a really tough position, right? Because because it's gone to the privileges committee, he's pretty limited in what he can say. And yet, you had Shannon Halbert coming out yesterday onto the tiles, you know, saying, "Yeah, he was threatening me. He mm. was." Um, you know, he was intimidating me, and and that's why um the, that's why we've gone to the privileges committee.
1: The problem for National is that this is an unnecessary. Risk for the party, a distraction for the party, at a time when they are really riding high, mm-hmm. both in the polls and just on on the on the board. Like getting some good runs on the board with Nat, with Labor kind of imploding, um, it doesn't need to have one of its own MPs causing trouble for the rest of the party when they're heading into the campaign. And now, you know, Tim Vandermolen's got to go before the privileges committee. That's going to be a time when all cameras are on him, mm. all mics are in. Christopher Luxon's face, asking again, "Do you have a bully boy in your in your caucus?" And it wasn't too long ago, remember that we had uh, the issue with uh, Sam Muffindale yeah. and Um and so it's that kind of theme there. With with you know, obviously like totally separate. But the fact that you've now got potentially two kind of MPs who have that sort of history or have that sort of tag around them, it's not
2: great. And National has
3: been looking thing. very disciplined, right, compared to the Labor yeah. Party lately. So, yeah, I, I don't think they'll be very impressed. They'll be with gutted. This. Yeah. And there's
2: only three more weeks of sitting, and we've got one week of recess in between, and it's like come on, guys, let's yeah. just keep, keep it together. It together. Keep Do it you together. know what I mean? Like, I just think... It's select committee, guys. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But <And laughs> who knew that transport could be quite so fraught? But mm. it yeah. just, I think, its a you're right that it's a distraction mm. that that National don't need at the moment. Um, and also a sign that an MP, if this is the way that it played out, a sign that an MP is, is under pressure and they need to wrap some support around him. Yeah,
0: and reiterating again, as Benedict, uh, you were pointing out um, that Tim Van Molen um, says the facts are contested. Yeah, um, and he hasn't really been able to defend himself. So we will wait to see
2: winners that
1: um, privileges. Do we know? I'm not sure. We if haven't got a date yet, no. yeah. but it won't be won't be far off because power well, no, will be rising soon. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, um, but it,
3: it is interesting though hey, that they couldn't resolve this. Um, Within their own committee, and just kind of, you know, mm. if you needed to front up and apologise and mm. you know, say so it wouldn't happen again. It's just interesting they couldn't find some sort of middle ground here without yeah, having to. It'll
0: be interesting to see what comes given they, out, given they
3: obviously tried to do that
0: out of his hearing. Um, and of course, we'll cover that. Um, through all our One News channels. Um, and then uh, some other Radu this week, actually, Jess, um, around costings with uh, transport matters. Is that yeah, right? this
2: feels like a little bit too soon to be talking about fiscal holes in election <laughs> campaigns because it wasn't. It feels like it wasn't that long ago that we did it again. But yes, again, um, we were able to break the story on Sunday night uh, of National's plan to do a four-lane highway from Whangarei to Tauranga they have put out the costings for their plan, saying um, that they took publicly available information, added on some contingency. Um, As soon as uh, Labour had a look at those, they disputed that, saying they're far too low. Um, David Parker admitting that some of the findings were from officials to Waka Kotahi that wouldn't have been publicly available. But then National saying, well, look, even if... Um, these figures aren't publicly available, we've still added in a contingency, so we still stand by our figures. Um, they even asked PQs to uh, David Parker, who gave a certain number. Parliamentary then, written
0: questions, by the way.
2: Oh, yes, thank you. And then then the num- figures came back a month ago, and then they've been updated since. So it does feel like uh, National have tried to dot their I's and cross their T's, but that... They obviously don't have access to um, all of the waka kotahi information, so they were smart to add in a contingency with all of that, but uh, David Parker was really strong, came out and said it's laughable what they've quoted, um, that building supplies and um, labour costs are soaring, and they're throwing around accusations at each other about this um, fiscal hole, saying that it it's billions of dollars off um, and yeah I mean David Parker is is definitely known for not mincing his words but he absolutely came out um, very ferociously on that Monday and that Tuesday um, saying that they were really off with their statements so it's it's this whole idea about who is going to do the best job of managing the books who is going to do the best job of managing the economy is roading what we want to be focusing on this election, is roading the answer to the solution? Are we focused enough on the impacts of climate change? So there are all these questions floating around, but it is a true blue national policy. This is right. the wheelhouse. Yeah. yeah, I think that Christopher Luxon spoke very confidently on this topic in a way that we don't really often see with him and I even put up that meme the other day like national loves talking about roads and you got that sense you know the little clip they put on Instagram but and you do get the sense that he's comfortable talking in this space yeah so it's smart for them to be campaigning on this because it is um interesting the only thing is though is that when um he was quizzed on some of the details he was not across he was asked on a radio show what was the Mount Victoria tunnel and uh, it was, t- was 2.2 billion dollars, and he just couldn't recall mm. that. Totally, totally get that you, but that you, mm, you know, can't remember a number every now and then. But go into a radio interview with the, you know four or five big. Well, you can't say numbers. you haven't
0: been briefed because you know that you're going to be asked about transport when you're there to talk about transport. Yeah, but right? I just
2: <laughs> have some tools yeah. to help yourself out. Like if you mind blank, have it. You know, a, it's a radio interview too. You can mm. go in with a sheet of paper. It's... Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I just think things like that, you think, oh, that's such a um, rookie error. So,
0: I mean, I feel like a lot of the uh, – well, not a lot, but some of the reaction to um, this policy announcement was people going, oh, God, you know, national with their roads again. But do you think it's a vote winner? I mean, people – some people really love roads, don't they? Like Waikato Expressway, cruising around on that. People seem to like that. That's from the previous national government. I think government. That roads –
2: make a difference to people's daily lives. Like, Mm. if a road is bad, uh, it's something that irks people all the time. Um,
0: Every day. As someone who uses
2: transmission gully a lot, that shaves, you know, several minutes off, you know, sometimes 20, 25 minutes off a round trip. Um, Though it impacts people's lives. Mm. And, you know, it's not just um, trucks with produce being able to get there faster. It's not just... um, you know, housing corridors that mean you can get into town quicker or whatever it is, it does make it, you know, if you've got we've got family um, up the coast, it, it makes it a lot smoother. So I just think there is a social benefit to roads and it's something tangible. I also put to to Christopher Luxon, you know, what are you going to do because the reduction um, target for transport alone is 41, uh, 41% um, savings? And he was like, yeah, but electric cars need good roads and you say mm, yeah i guess that's that's the point now they're going to have to encourage figure out a way to encourage people to get into evs and that's something when we quiz them on they said is coming because you know you, you've got to be able to do it but sorry i just realized i leaned back in a the mic me, might not pick you up <laughs> let, let me come a bit closer but yeah an interesting interesting thing. Not everyone loves roads, mm. I get it. But I do think that in a country like New Zealand... We you don't I mean have a rail
0: network. Yeah. That, you know, a, a, a substantial rail network Yeah, into city. Yeah.
2: And that idea of being able to say, well, look, you can connect four of our big cities with roads. What do you guys reckon? Benedict is... is
3: <laughs> yeah. Is. I mean, on, on the electric cars, I think we're doing pretty well anyway, right, with the... Um, Clean car
2: mm.
3: um, discount has seen um, the uptake of EVs. EVs rocket. I, I just I sit there every time we talk about roads, and I dream of like having a rail network like they have in France, where you can just drop, jump on a high speed train and two hours people. later. Two hours later, you're sitting, you know, in, a, in another city, um, hundreds and hundreds but of Like, what's the population away? of
0: France? Like, the
3: population, is yeah, five million. Or yeah. well, like a I bullet train, Felix. like
2: we yeah. went on in China that went 350. Yeah, I imagine that hour. if you could
3: jump on that, you could be up in Auckland two hours later. Yeah, awesome well, 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 And we could
2: Game have had changer. it all because
0: we used to have yeah. the
3: infrastructure for these things. Yeah, <laughs> we could have had it
0: all. Yeah, but we don't. So we have um, road policies that some people like, some people don't like. Um, and moving on to uh, another, some people have called it a leak, might not be a leak. Nicola Willis says the Labour Party is going to come out with a policy that they will take GST off fresh fruit and vegetables.
2: Yeah, and I think this is a really interesting one. Never ideal for the opposition to be announcing your um, one element of your tax policy. Labour have done absolutely nothing to rule this out, so let's safely assume that GST is coming off fruit and veggies. Now... I have read multiple articles over the last few days with all sorts of um, economists and, um, and you know, the former Reserve Bank governor, et cetera, et cetera, saying why it will not, why taking GST will not work. Politically, I think it is a smart move. And I think it's a smart move because when you're standing in a town hall, and you're saying, what are you going to do to help me with the cost of living? Here is your answer. So I do think the politics of it makes sense. You do get the feeling that Chris Hipkins is standing going, la, 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 with his hands over his ears, because, it, you know, the details, what is fresh fruit and vegetables? Um, how are you going to, um, how are they going to do it? How are they going to figure it out? But I do think Australia has an exemption. They actually have an exemption more widely on food, In general um they basically you know any fresh product you know basics bread milk Mm. um meat etc it is a very complex system it's not exactly one you want to hold up and say hey this is this is great but i do think that it will be a good political sell and it's something tangible i also think for places like daycare centers marae food banks that buy a lot of fruit and Veggies, fifteen percent off your a portion of your grocery bill makes a little bit of a difference.
3: Right, and it, it it also incentivizes people to eat healthier food, right, which has big savings in your health system and stuff like that. If if, if you can do that, the interesting thing though, right, is that Labor has steadfastly re- refused um, and said it makes no sense whatsoever um, to take GST off. Fresh fruit and, and it's too hard for a very implement. long time. Yeah. I mean, we've done polls on it, right? Mm. Um, and, and they've said, no, "No, no, it's it's too difficult. It'll be too complex. Uh, we we can't do it." Even though lots of other countries do it, um, uh, yeah, and so that's including kind
2: of, Grant Robertson. Yeah,
3: right. For a long time, they've said we're not going to do this. It doesn't make sense. So it will be interesting to see if National did indeed have a uh, good tip on Labor's tax policy and that they are planning to take. Uh, GST off fresh fruit and vegetables.
0: And the National Party's sort of gone in on that angle, right? That uh, that Grant Robertson's head is is somehow at odds with the Prime Minister on this. But Grant's quite a you know Team Labour, isn't he? He, 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 he? Can he swallow this dead rat? As Mikey has said.
1: I mean, I think that they are definitely loyal lieutenants to Chris Hipkins. Um, Grant, R- Grant Robertson and David Parker although David Parker also a man of his principles and therefore had to hand back that revenue portfolio um, one obviously we know it's on the record as being because there was a ruling out of that wealth tax or that capital gains tax but I do think probably GST seems to have played a role in that decision as well um, and so while they won't you know rock the boat for Chris Hipkins while they while they will be labeled uh, Labor loyalists to the very end, um, they will be very disappointed, and they will probably air those frustrations at the cabinet table. And, and whether you know he is you know confident in making his captain's calls, as he seems to be, Chris Hipkins, um, that does have an impact. Still, if you've got you know your mate sitting around the table being like, oh, I don't think we should do this. I don't and think I th- this is the right call.
2: And if we, if Labor was doing, if we were seeing Labor doing better on the polls. I don't think they would be looking at this as seriously. But this they've got to do some things to shift the numbers around. And yeah. I do think you can't have a revenue minister, um, you, he can't go out and try yeah. and implement something that he's been super, you know, against behind the scenes. So in that way. That's pretty much what he said too. Yeah. He? But I
1: think that's why it's going to be tricky for Grant Robertson, and Grant Robertson yeah. obviously hasn't had to be had, hasn't had to answer these questions because the policy hasn't been confirmed or announced from Labor. Yeah. But when it does, then we'll be playing those old clips of Grant Robertson as recently as May, ruling out mm-hmm. you know um, uh, the the option of a, of, a, of taking GST or fruit and vegetable. He said that at Caucus Run in May, yeah. um, for various reasons, you know he said that actually it's not even clear if supermarkets will pass on those savings to consumers and that's just one of the
2: headaches. I'm also really curious about whether he talked about it with Anthony Albanese when he was here visiting. I just wonder if that's one of the um, one of the topics that was addressed. We, we can't know, um, but what well, we don't know now, but I think it would be really interesting if he did talk, because it has been a political headache in Australia, you know, they've had lots of scraps over it, it's complex, yada yada yada, but I do think they he, he probably could learn, quite, you know, officials could quite, probably quite learn quite a lot. I do
1: that. think that you're right, though, Jess, in that it will be a popular policy with the public. And the public don't care about, you know, it's not their problem to figure out, is, is it applying to fresh fruit and vegetable only? What does that mean? What about the frozen fruit and veggies? Like... Joan at home, she doesn't care. All she cares about is: is it going to be cheaper for me? There is an option that
2: it could be. Yes, okay, I'm in. I'm sold. Mm. And it doesn't have to be like Mullenberg. And we're not necessarily talking about you know your avocados and your cherries and your. You're talking about hey, can I swap um, the my pasta for potatoes? Can I swap? Um, you know, a muesli bar and kids' lunchbox for an apple. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's
1: that basic stuff. I just want to know how much cheaper my cherry tomatoes are going to be. So, it right? depends it's on just, the season. I just want to
2: know. <laughs> Seven bucks upon it, guys. Oh, this is oh, not oh. the first time this complaint has been has been raised.
3: And this is the key, right, <laughs> when it comes to cherry tomatoes. This is the, this is the, what I see a lot of people saying. This is now in a the cherry tomato podcast. I'm just going to hoover up that 15%, right? They consumers aren't really going to benefit because the supermarket is just going to basically up their prices, take the money anyway, right? And it's not going to lead to cheaper cherry tomatoes. I'm,
1: I'm going I'm to stand outside uh, and wave my packet of cherry tomatoes and, and I'm like, oh. I want my 15%. And a, and a lot of uh, <laughs> 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 a,
3: a lot of people right, are saying, hey, it was only a little while ago that this government was accusing the supermarkets of taking a million dollars a day in excess profits off, off New Zealanders, right? They've just appointed a grocery commissioner to try and ensure fairer um, competition and fairer trade between your supermarket um, basic duopoly, right? And I think that's gonna be the key to this if they do announce a, GS, a GST of um, fresh fruit and vegetables. How are they gonna ensure the supermarkets, Markets, you know, they're not just delivering millions and millions of dollars in excess profits there.
1: Probably though, perhaps, in the same way that they kept an eye on the petrol companies right? Megan Woods, she she had an, Mm -hmm. you know, there was that oversight kind of board or they had to be transparent. And every time the kind of um, dial looked like it was dipping the wrong way, she would write a letter and say, hey, 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 what's happening here? I mean, couldn't they just do the same thing with supermarkets? So basically,
2: you're asking Megan Woods to um, universally keep an eye on the price of cherry tomatoes across New Zealand so that Mikey Sherman can live her best life. just salads are important. Mm. Okay. Mm. All right. Health is important. Health is wealth.
0: Yeah. Um, so, we're talking about, I'm trying to think of a fantastic segue here, I'm failing, but uh, I've got two cherry tomatoes in a punnet, like David Seymour and Winston Peters, BFFs for life? Yeah, and I'll
1: I'll tell you who wants GST or fresh fruit and veg, New Zealand First and Te Pāti Māori. Um, And so I was at the New Zealand First Convention, um, well, what was it, maybe two weekends ago now. That's how long we haven't had a podcast for, guys. Uh, First of all, it was good to see Winston Peters um, back on stage, back on the campaign trail. I mean, he's been out there for ages, but, um, you know, it was the first time that we've kind of um, caught up with him in in quite a while. Uh, And the most interesting thing to come out of that was he was categoric in ruling out working with Labour and was actually flirting with the idea of working with National. You know, just wouldn't rule it out um, and, you know, was open to the options of a coalition, a confidence and supply agreement. Yes, the option of sitting on the crossbenches and opposition was there as well. But, um, yeah, he, you know, I was like, have you text Christopher Luxon you've reached out to him he said oh, I saw him at the field days and I said hi Chris you know, <laughs> This is just quite cute actually um, and so the other thing is National has not ruled out working with New Zealand first as much as David Seymour wants Christopher Luxon to do that he's like look guys I'm not Jesus this is David Seymour I'm not Jesus I can't work with him no one can no one ever has done that well etc um, etc et and yet to this day You know, Christopher Luxon won't rule
2: out Winston Peters. And yet if it comes down to it maybe David Seymour will put on his crown of thorns (laughs) and suck it up and work with him because I just feel like lots change after an election if the numbers fall the way for New Zealand first. I can't imagine a scenario where David Seymour won't say, perhaps we won't do a coalition with them but we'll do confidence and supply and We'll do this and we'll do that. So, I am, um, you know, David Seymour may um, may have to take back his words of I, not being Jesus.
3: I just love how much Winston and David Seymour hate each other. It's, it's so fun, it's, it, and it's brilliant, and it's just yeah. been running for years. And yeah,
1: yeah, it's, it's very just deep animosity isn't it. between.
3: Is refreshing,
0: but yeah. is it
2: so deep down that maybe it's also a little bit of love for each other too? You know how sometimes like when hate is respect. so yeah. fiery yeah. that it's kind of a little bit love, a little bit of mad respect there eh, underneath it all. I think
1: also for David Seymour, I mean, what what would he love more than being Deputy Prime Minister? Over Winston Peters. <laughs> yeah. Imagine that, David. Imagine that.
2: Just yeah. let that sink in. Yeah, I I'm not, I just can't imagine a world where that would be okay with Winston Peters. But, y- you know, who knows? But I do think it's interesting with the numbers. Our poll uh, two weeks ago had uh, New Zealand first at two. Um, and they've been pretty much around that, two and three uh, this year, pretty consistently, which is pretty normal for them, I have to say, in the lead up to an election. Um, News Hub had their read research poll last night and that had them at four, uh, 4.1. So that's quite an interesting, um, quite a big jump mm. for them. And, you know, it's all margin of error stuff. But what that does is that starts the conversation, um when they're sort of at that three to four, a few weeks out from an election, that they're in the mix. Mm. Because the biggest problem for Winston Peters is if they sit around two for the next three or four polls, people start to feel like their vote might be... unquote Wasted. Yeah. Wasted, yeah. yeah. Mm. So I do think that that's, that really is a bit of a game changer. Now, I think it'll be interesting to see what the next few polls show, whether that's a bit of an anomaly or margin of error or you know how... Polls can sort of um, they're a snapshot in time, and, mm. and we'll see where that where that fits. Um, but
0: they're all pretty consistent. Just that it's going to be super close. But what will be really interesting is where those minor parties fall.
2: Yeah, I think so too. And yeah, I think is. this is that was a high one for Winston mm. Peters and maybe that's showing the beginning of what the rest of the polls are saying. Uh, but I do, yeah, I think it's really interesting. Mm. And we've got, I can't believe it's only 10 weeks to go now and I just, um, like it feels like it's rocketing towards us now, starting to feel like that. Um, but I do think that it's going to be, there's so many interesting elements to this and it's just Labour, it should be over for Labour. Like Labour should have crashed and burned and they're just not they're just holding holding things together so i do barely <laughs> yeah but i i claire trevette from uh the editor of the herald wrote a really interesting piece. political
0: editor <laughs> poor old murray kirkness is the editor of the, oh the sorry herald.
2: yeah <laughs> My, yeah political editor. <laughs> um claire, yeah. you just got a promotion from well Jessica to be fair i kind of you know with political podcasts, can i get away with that maybe yeah, not sure. um I'll, yeah, I'll just promote her. But she had a really interesting point about just like how many lives does Labour have and they're still there. They are going to have to grind if they're going to claw it back to be even in the running, but they're just, the the fat lady hasn't sung yet, you know, like they're, they're there or thereabouts, and that's what's going to be fun. And when you've got, it's all on, you've got to throw some interesting policies out there and let's mm. see what happens.
0: I can feel it coming. I feel like I'm, 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 I'm optimistic that mm. we're going to see some proper proper election, proper policy, proper yeah. politics coming our way. Um, so moving on quickly now to pits and peaks. I'll kick off with mine. My peak this week was <laughs> Chris Hipkins awkwardly throwing, well, I don't know if I'd say throwing, um, leaning his support in the general direction of the uh, Australian women's soccer team, the Matildas. He sort of said, uh, go the Matildas. Uh, reporter, An Australian reporter uh, said asked him if uh, New Zealand should now support uh, the Australian women's uh, football team now that our, um, uh, our, our team is out of the FIFA Women's World Cup. And yeah, it was very awkward and amusing. So um, that was my peak. And my pit was... Um, yesterday the head of the electoral commission saying that um, you know misinformation and disinformation is still quite a threat and um, something that they're taking quite seriously and you know that worries me.
2: I had just two peaks and I'll make them really quick it was visiting um, Anthony Blinken the US uh, I wanted to say to the general (laughs) secretary of state thank you um, was about to give him a demotion, and um, Anthony Albanese, the uh, Australian Prime Minister. Asking questions of them is still a bit of a thrill, and I like it, and I also love motorcades.
1: Sorry. Um, yes, and my uh, interesting fact, I think, um, is Tamati Coffee standing in the east coast, um, filling the vacancy of Kiritapu-Allen. Uh, I've been thinking about it, and my, think, my thoughts are, um, probably the best option for the Labour Party. It uh, would have been tricky to bring someone new in who would have had to face questions about the Kiri Allen saga. With Tamati already being a current MP, the issue's already been addressed with you know the party, and therefore him, he doesn't need to be answerable to any kind of weight that might carry on to him in that electorate also um, even though he did bow out of, um, even though he did lose Waiariki, he is more of a general seat candidate and um, I'll need another podcast to kind of get into the details of why I think that is so I won't do that now but I think he is uh, more suited to um, that general electorate seat um, and uh, and he's a well known face uh, for the Labour Party so probably the best pick they could have had.
3: And I enjoyed some uh, good good old-fashioned politics yesterday. Uh, so Nicola Willis had a uh, bill uh, before Parliament which would have made uh, paid, um, a parental leave more flexible. It would have allowed um, the dad and the mum or, or the parents to take leave at the same time. Um, at the moment, uh, y- you can't do that. So it just would have made it more flexible. Now just about every single political party thought this was a really good idea. You had the Greens on board, you had ACT, you had uh, National, I think the Independents were all on board, and then Labour came out and said no. Uh, and the, re- the reasons uh, Labour had for uh, tra- killing uh, Nicola Willis's bill, which he thought was very, very unfair, um, uh, were rather ropey. Uh, I interviewed the uh, Deputy Prime Minister, uh, Carmel Cipollone, about it yesterday on the bridge. And she said, oh, well, well, the bill did have some merits. But, uh, you know, one of the reasons we opposed it is because the World Health Organization uh, recommends that women breastfeed for the first six months. And I thought, where the hell did that come from? You know, like, it. Those, also, those some women things,
0: can't, some people can't some
3: breastfeed. T- uh, lots of people can't. Mm-hmm. Lots of. People yeah. can't breastfeed right at first. They really struggle and to it do that. feels
2: like not a government call, just putting yeah. it out there. Like, you know,
3: it, here's the government telling women that they should be breastfeeding for the first six months, so they're not going to let you be and your they the first six months. They're Who? not going to let you and your partner take time off at the same time. And and, and it was interesting because Carmel was saying, "Hey, look, this bill did have some merits." It's like, well, why on earth did you not vote for it through the first reading? To take it through to select committee, committee and mm-hmm. you know. Hammer out, if there there were some issues with it, hammer out those issues there, right? I just thought it was extraordinary for the Deputy Prime Minister to be talking about World Health Organisation recommendations for breastfeeding to kill Nicola's bill. On the other hand, I can understand it politically. You don't want to give Nicola Willis a big win, you know, a few weeks out from an election. And let's not forget, it wasn't that long ago that the National Party repeatedly um, shot down Sumeroni's paid parental leave extensions, um, Bill English pulling out the, oh, we can't afford it card to kill her bills uh, repeatedly to try and give women more time um, off, off, you know, more paid parental leave, um, and and then quietly sort of introducing their own bills to do it anyway. Um, so, I mean, National was, you know, they did exactly the same thing to the Labour Party um, yeah. when when they were in power. So, yeah, all, all's fair and love and war. What, what goes around comes around, I suppose, yeah. and sometimes politics wins over the
0: public, perhaps, and you know, some people's view. Um, All right, so well, that was One News Inside Parliament. Thanks for joining us. Uh, It was your peek behind the scenes on the biggest political stories of the week. Uh, If you've got a burning political question, send it our way at at TVNZ.co.nz, and head to onenews.co.nz for more insight and follow One News on all your social media platforms. Uh, Thanks, Lisa, for your amazing work yet again producing this podcast and we'll see you again next week ciao